Thank you for finding the Motel Americana podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please consider helping it to continue running by clicking the support link at motelamericanapodcast.com, by finding us directly on Patreon, or simply by rating it on your favorite podcast platform. These all take about two or three minutes, and they help this project more than you know. For those of you just checking into the motel for the first time, the author of most of these tales is one Oscar Garrett. When he wrote them in the 80s, he was just a kid living at the motel with his family who owned the establishment. Oscar kept himself amused by bugging the rooms. The illicitly gotten audio surveillance footage that Oscar captured clearly served as the source material for these pseudo-fictional short stories. And wherever possible, I, your humble narrator Jack Same, have and will continue to intercut the actual surveillance audio that Oscar's bugs captured into the narrative of his tales as I relay them to you. This accounts for the sometimes spotty quality of the audio dialogue. But I feel that the immediacy the field recordings lend these presentations far outweighs the detrimental byproducts of them. For those who are interested or too distracted by the field recording quality, you can find Oscar's original text at motelamericanapodcast.com. A full account of my encounter with Oscar and how I came into possession of his materials can be found in episode one called Oscar's Notebooks. In episode two, The Switchman, Oscar describes in his own words the circumstances leading up to his peculiar writing process. That is, how he came to write fiction based on the real exchanges of those who stayed at his family's motel. If you haven't listened to those yet, I do suggest you start there, though it's not entirely necessary as most of these tales are self-contained, and this is the case for the forthcoming story. However, to fans of the series, an apology is in order for the delay in getting this one out onto these simulated airwaves. Personal circumstances have made it impossible to produce and release this episode as I'd originally planned. These personal circumstances were, in fact, a direct result of last episode's fallout. To explain, this podcast and all that it represents and entails as it relates to the actuality of the motel, its inhabitants, and the author of their stories has until now been a private obsession for me, a bug collection on adrenaline. And that cloud story that I told in the last release, because it involved someone she'd known, was the first time I'd share any of this project with my wife at all. After hearing my account of what transpired during my meeting with Cloud, she expressed interest, somewhat playfully at first, in taking a ride down to the site of the motel to, as she put it, see about all the hubbub bub. In hindsight, I realized I reacted too forcefully to this. I, I couldn't help it. It was a knee-jerk reaction. I should have played it off nonchalantly, casually said, sure, next time we're in the neighborhood, we'll drive by, or something to that effect. Instead, I said, absolutely not. Not in a million years am I going back to that place, and certainly not with you. Weren't you listening to what I just said? That place is like toxic waste or a virus. No, it's like a hard drug or taboo sex with strangers. Might seem fun and exciting at first and maybe feels good for a time, but it brings only bad things in the morning. Forget it, I told her. Despite my protestations, or no, because of them, she became more adamant. When at last I told her that it was for her own good and to stop acting like a child and why can't you see that I'm protecting you for Christ's sake? Well, that sealed the deal. She absolutely insisted. It wasn't a playful suggestion anymore. She didn't need protection, especially from the likes of me. Nothing I could say about it. We were going, right then, on New Year's Day. We went. 
The visit wasn't what either of us expected, which is probably exactly what I should have expected given what I've been learning about this motel. And my wife and I are both lucky to be alive. We frightened one another. Ourselves did terrible things, dangerous things. We became something other than who we were or who we are, some grim reflection of the worst we're capable of. Now, a few weeks later, aside from the constant nightmares and frequent irrepressible need for drink-induced oblivion, my wife has left me and I'm plagued by guilt. I shouldn't have let her hear Cloud's story in the first place. Shouldn't have intrigued her with the motel's mystery, drawn her into whatever this is. What I should have done is kept my sometimes feel like heaven brand of hell a private concern. Should have kept my mouth shut. I realize, realized long ago really, that this is the primary weakness of the constant affirmation addicted fledgling writer of modest abilities. This need for assurance, audience response, even an audience of one. I exploited the motel to get my fix. I got what I deserved. And then some. For the record, Sylvie, if you're hearing this, I take full responsibility. You didn't deserve to be subjected to the events of the last few weeks. I'm sorry for getting you involved. Sorry for what I did when we got there. I'm sorry for what that place made us do to each other. Once I can come to terms with these events, once I can sort them out, wrap my head around them, I will attempt to commit my account to the record on this podcast. I'm beginning to feel it's important, maybe even necessary, to record anything and everything I know about the motel for possible future investigations in case... All right, well, I, I, I realize that this all may sound hysterical, exaggerated, but I don't think so. At least I can't conceive it as such, but... Then again, the insane man always believes he's the most sane person in any room he's in, and I'm teetering. For now, I'm just thankful I have the cache of Oscar stories and audio recordings still in my possession. They assure me that I'm not alone. Which brings us at long last without further histrionics or delay to the yarn Oscar called The Double or The Exquisite Torture of Cheating on Your Wife and How Exactly to Do It. Pretty much every tenant who took a room at the Motel Americana did so with the singular intent of coupling carnally with a human being to whom they were not lawfully wedded or otherwise betrothed. But almost none of these lodgers needed to contract two rooms in order to do it. Our present, most curious hero, one Oliver Oliver Atkins, stood as the sole exception to this rule. Or co-exception, depending on your interpretation of what transpired in rooms 11 and 22 on the night in question, September 9th, 1988. As we enter standard issue number 11, we find Ollie sleeping peacefully in the desk chair under the silk blue light of a zygote moon. Here, Ollie snoring loudly as he dreams of peaceful, faraway places. Behold the large welt raised on the shiny surface of his prematurely bald head. Perhaps this knot is the physical location housing Ollie's faraway dreams. 
Perhaps it's the fleshy matter comprising this newly formed goose egg that provides the fresh soil garden bed for Ali's merciful delusions to bloom and usher forth the intoxicating bouquets that are now so sweetly delivering him from his psychic and physical trauma. Yes, sweet dreams notwithstanding, Ali's had better days. This goes for anyone found in a place like this, but for Ali especially. In addition to the welt, a rash of panic-induced hives has also broken out on his neck in clusters like swarms of angry bees. His clothes are filthy and torn. His pores exude a smell distinctly akin to that of grilled onions. Also, another man stood in the room looming over Ali as he slept that evening. Aside for the absence of Ali's signs of abuse and dishevelment, this man was Ali's exact physical double. In every discernible way, right down to the long, thin nose indented at the tip, the ever-flickering muscle and the perpetually clenched jaw, the non-dangling earlobes that gave each man a somewhat test lab rat aspect, and the abdominal scar where appendixes had been removed some 20 years prior. For the record, Ali was an only child. So is his double. For the benefit of his sleeping audience, this double, also incidentally named Oliver Oliver, tapped an imaginary watch in the universal gesture of out of patience. He held the invisible timepiece to his ear to check that it was still ticking. He nudged Ollie with one of his identical feet. He cleared his identical throat once, <coughs> twice, <coughs> then reared back his identical right hand and brought it crashing down across the side of Ollie's identical slumbering face. Wake up! The show's about to begin. Ollie's vision and left cheek flared crimson against the blow bringing forth a tide of nightmare-strewn consciousness swelling to the frontal region of his already war-torn lobes, along with a high-piercing ringing. He said, Ah! I, I didn't do it! The double clicked on an ophthalmoscope and shied it directly in Ollie's bleary right eye, exacerbating Ollie's general disorientation. Hold still now. Where am I? Who are you? The double clicked off his instrument took a deep, frustrated sigh and said, I'm not going to go through this every time you decide to regain consciousness. You'll need to make a better effort than this. The double crossed the room to where the brown embroidered ice bucket had been sitting for some time. He delivered the bucket to his charge and flung its contents into his face. A hailstorm of somewhat melty ice cubes and cold water pelted him. Ollie gasped as if he were drowning in an <laughs> ocean of water. <laughs> now hold still. Please, Wait! The double grabbed Ollie by the jaw and shined the light into his left eye. Oh, this is bad. Very bad. What is it? You're barely alive. You can tell that by my eyes? Wait, this isn't even a doctor's office. The double clicked off the instrument and said gravely, You know, you're the worst case that I've ever had. I may vomit your lunch. That's how disgusted I am. The double reached into the instrument bag he had at his side and this time extracted from it an horoscope. He jammed it into Ollie's left ear and took a look. He made concerned clucking sounds with his tongue. Just what I thought. Clogged. Something like the consistency of grape jelly? You might not make it after all. Anything bothering you? Any pain anywhere? Not make it? What? Ollie jolted to turn and face his double, but the movement sent a shock of pain from the welt on his head all the way down through his sciatica nerves. He was finally waking up. Yes, the, the, the pain, it's, it's in my skull. It, it, it feels like it's been shattered by a 
bullet. He tried to rub at the goose egg, but found that both his hands were cuffed to the arms of the chair in which he was sitting. Ah, there's an idea. It can be arranged. What? The double rounded his patient and looked into the right ear. The bullet. Gentle as a whisper, clean as a prayer. We could agree to call it suicide, eh? I mean, look at us. <laughs> There's a solid argument for that. Might even stand up in court. You'll be free of yourself. I get to keep my perfect record. And, well, can you hear what I'm saying? Through all this thick gunk, can you hear her <laughs> unshackle me? This room's filling with smoke. In case I need to evacuate. The smoke did appear to be billowing up through the floor register and through the wall vents. But the double ignored this entirely. You know, over ten years in this game and not a single dissatisfied customer. Now you've got me worried, threatening to evacuate. Disgusting! Truly worried. You've got to pull yourself together. You know she's ready for you. Who? The double stood, genuinely surprised. Jesus, are you serious? The double looked up at the popcorn ceiling and bit his oh. fist. God, what have I done to deserve this man? I, I can't take it anymore. The double walked away from Ollie and turned his back to him. He parted the curtain and stared at the New Jersey turnpike and the massage parlor neon beyond that. The refineries expressing the malodorous rot, the endless snake of traffic. He pulled a rosary from his pocket, thumbed it while having a deep, pained consultation with his god. I should have never taken him on. I should have listened to you. I knew it was a mistake the minute I saw her. I'm sorry, is, is it doctor? I, if I did anything wrong, doctor, The double I, nodded and muttered responses to the divine advisement he was receiving. Will, I won't fail him. I'll find the strength, the courage. I will not fail you, Lord. The double rushed back to Ollie, grabbed him by his lobeless ears, and stared into his look face. Look at me, child. But Ollie did everything he could to look away. Since the moment they'd met, Ollie found prolonged eye contact impossible with this man. He'd never had enough self-possession to hold anyone's gaze for longer than two or three seconds as it was, but with his double, a debilitating wave of nausea consumed him every time their eyes touched for even the briefest of instants. A deeply and morally unsettling sensation akin to that of performing the act of incest. To look into your doppelganger's eyes, Ollie learned, is like tongue-kissing your mother. I've tried to be lenient. A kind teacher. I'm handcuffed to a chair. But I see my magnanimity has gotten us nowhere. Fallen upon clogged ears, if you will. A mind too jammed with grape jelly for coherent thought. I can't think straight. Yes, that's true. I'm, I'm confused. The double inserted fresh batteries into a stun gun. But it's gone too far. And, and, and now, I'm afraid, we'll have to switch to an alternative method of treatment. Treatment? The double pressed the button to test the stun gun. The tough love method. A kind of reverse electroshock therapy. Completely safe and tested by the proper medical boards and all that. Nine out of ten, what have you. Now think. Take a minute and think hard. You'll want to answer this next question correctly. What do you remember last? I don't know. Wrong answer. Ollie howled as a double pressed the gun to his supraclavicular lymph nodes and electricity coursed through his nervous system. In oblivion's instant, a vision or perhaps a memory came reeling back to him with heart attack clarity, and it was as if Ollie was there again. Night raining like nails falling on asphalt, rusted iron wrenched up from the gutter that sent him splaying into the banshee scream of combustion traffic. He'd just been humiliated in a client presentation, 
his work destroyed in the company boardroom of a make-or-break client, and a plummeting elevator ride to the surface of the earth later, he tripped lost in the blaring lights and searing horns of some deviled crossroads, the venom voice street raging at him. God fleeting in the glass reflections everywhere, smearing smirked. He was struck in the street and flew and skidded to a black from which emerged a ring of grimed sidewalk faces, pantomiming concern to mask their morbid desire for a glimpse of fresh deformity. The newly deformed found his feet eventually and followed them out of the chain of faces into a scuffling orbit, thrusting along the contour of an ellipse, one revolution, two, until the door expelled him bodily and he was deposited in the threadbare carpeted foyer of a two-and-a-half-star hotel somewhere dug deep into Newark's secret lore. The night watchman, just returned from wherever he disappeared to, came after him from outside, hands hungry and snapping like crab claws. So Ollie fled deeper into the bowels and into a seminar room where he found a chair in the back row, among other shadows gathered before a projected presentation of baffling sort. Something about self-realization, a man sitting in the front row turned back at the commotion Ali had been making, a man with striking physical similarity to Ali. But it must have been a mistake, Ali thought. Ali was woozy. He wasn't thinking straight. He fell asleep. <clears throat> Sorry for the interruption, and I hate to break the fourth wall here, but I think a, um, a note is in order. Because it doesn't really quite make sense that the following exchange shows up on Oscar's audio recordings, considering that the bugs were in the motel room. My best guess and an explanation for this is that Oliver and the double, the man in the room, reenacted these scenes as part of Ollie's psychotherapy. Ollie came to in the seminar room and a man with surreal curly brown hair and a green suit had papers already filled out for him. It's all been taken care of for you. What? You just need to sign here. It's easy. The man pointed to a dotted line on the sheet. There's been a mistake. Look, I'm not a salesman. I'm not an advisor. I'm not trying to sell you extra services. I'm just an attorney. But here's what I know. Ali suspected the mustache the man wore was a fake. An attorney for who? Well, in some sense, an attorney for you. The man in the green suit ran a finger along a sea of incomprehensible words set in minuscule type. This all assures your safety. Nothing shocking here. Strictly I'm boilerplate. Not sure. But one thing I can tell you is that you're not unique. I'm not? Not a snowflake, certainly. You come in here. By mistake. I, I had an accident. And you have second thoughts, like so many before you. Uh, you know, you say it's a mistake. Okay, cold feet, and trying to back out. Back out of what? Sing, song, and dance. I don't get paid enough. Here's how it goes. You try to back out. I gently remind you of all the benefits outlined in the presentation, how great your life can be, how you need our services to achieve that life. What services? And you sign. But as you can see, the seminar is over. Everyone else has already signed, and you're the last one left. What services? Spiritual healing, life coaching, attainment of your true secret dreams. Weren't you paying attention? To the presentation, really. <laughs> if we can just cut to the chase. You're a coach? I'm just the attorney. You're not paying attention. Now, please, sir. The man in the green suit held out a gleaming black pen for all. If you don't mind, I have a horse race to get to. As if being magically transported, 
Ollie suddenly found himself back in the motel room, where his double was taking his blood pressure. And I was sent to fix you. I don't need a life coach. More of a spiritual advisor. My life was awful, okay? I admit it. But it's worse now. I don't want your help anymore. I want to be free of you. Want and need are two very different things. I'm here to help. Help what? Achieve your dreams. But it's a nightmare. Nightmare dream. The two sides of the same coin. It's working already, you see. Consider our agreement terminated. My God, 250 over 150? You're running hotter than a thoroughbred on meth. No matter how fast or how far I run. Uh going to explode. I can't get away from you. That much I know for sure. I ran all the way here to this shithole to escape you and here you are. Everything you just said was wrong. I told you to come here. No. That is false. Wrong answer. The electrical storm in Ollie's brain produced the precise moment the double had appeared. And Ollie was once again transported as if through a portal to his nightmare in the boardroom of the American Dream Construction Company conglomerate. It was a week after he'd signed with Dream Horizons. Fumbling, Ollie unfurled his revised drawings. The stone-faced CEO of the American Dream at the head of the table took one look at Ollie's presentation, and before Ollie managed to say a single word in his drawing's defense, Stoneface said, These look exactly the same as the shit you brought in here last time. No, look, I altered the weight of the buttresses, the width of the vaulted windows. See, see the delicate balance I struck with the- Ollie trailed off because he saw deep gloom pass over the face of Marissa, the Veneer Studios account manager for the American Dream account. She tried to salvage the situation. Sir, I want to apologize on the firm's behalf. It seems that Oliver brought the wrong drawings. The original drawings, accidentally. No, wait. See, see these are... These are the wrong drawings, Ollie. Ollie caught the drift. He would have liked to have aided and abetted her strategy, to feign sudden surprise at his oversight and that, why yes, he'd grabbed the wrong drawings after all. But he felt her disgust and embarrassment in the innermost chamber of his heart and was overcome with the familiar and debilitating waves of nausea and defeat crash over him. I'm sorry. Was all he could muster up the courage to say. Then he crumbled into his seat, wishing that it would swallow him up into an interdimensional vortex and spit him out into an alternate universe. which is the precise moment the double flung himself into the room and Ollie's life, apologizing for his tardiness with a jocularity that diffused the situation almost immediately. The double passed out newly pressed business cards, shook Stoneface's hand, as well as those of his henchmen. No one seemed to mind or even notice that he was a surer, more confident, somehow better-looking exact replica of the original Oliver Oliver Atkins. You'll have to excuse my mentor. He suffers delusions of grandeur. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> Actually, he's a genius in disguise, so his delusions are reality. No, no, no. In all seriousness, Ollie is brilliant, and I'm honored to be studying under him. Uh, I noticed he left the real drawings on his desk back at the office, so <laughs> I took it upon myself. Excuse me, Mr. Atkins. 
That was presumptuous. To get them over here, ASAP, here you go, boss. The double placed a roll of drawings Ollie had never seen on the table before him. Ollie's heart pulsed at the base of his tongue. He was beside himself, yes, literally beside himself by all appearances, and overcome with the paralysis that brought even the flow of his blood to a stop. Then his heart stopped beating altogether, and then everything inside him died. Everyone waited for a reaction, but it became more evident with every passing second that it wasn't going to come. Ollie's light had gone out. At which point, the double leaned into Ollie's ear and said, Don't worry, I got this. I'm gonna fix everything, boss. The double unrolled his drawings over Ollie's, and they reflected brightly in Stoneface's charcoal eyes. Marissa beamed diamonds in return, and Ollie watched the rest of the meeting as if from a great distance, as if through many layers of fractured glass. By the time it was all over, Veneer Studios had won the American dream, and Marissa and the double walked out arm in arm with Stoneface from Martinis, turning the lights off in the conference room on the way out, leaving Ollie stunned and alone in Newark's closing dark. Again, he was transported back to the motel. The fog had gained and Ollie could make the double out only through wafts of billowing haze now, smoke filling the room. Ollie defended his work, or rather, attacked his doubles. You're a dirty deconstructivist. Deconstructivism is a passing fad. It's a style designed to go out of style. The double unzipped Ollie's fly, unbuckled Ollie's belt, and shoved his hand down Ollie's pants. Ollie hardly noticed. Built of structures conceived to be torn down. Built of structures that look like they're already torn down, actually. Ah, oh. The double, while fiddling around in Ollie's genitalia, said, We're not exactly identical now, are we? Christ, your testicles are the size of chickpeas. That explains a lot. A hell of a lot, Ollie. He retracted his hand, spit on it, and wiped it on Ollie's already filthy shirt. It especially explains your obsession with balance and harmony. Ballless, bloody work, Ollie. Quotidian at best. Architecture is the art of endurance. Boring! The point is, I won't let you lie to yourself. You don't get to control this narrative. Not anymore. I'm steering this Bronco. I won't let you. You have no choice. I can prove it. I can make you do anything I want. With a snap of my fingers, for instance, I could make everything you say come out backwards. Ollie tried to tell his double that he was insane, that his work was brilliant and will endure the test of time, but it came out as if he were speaking in tongues. Exactly. Or I could put us out to sea. Ollie tried to tell him to wait. He watched as the motel walls fell away, revealing a pristine expanse of ocean and sky marred only by an albatross circling above them. The double stood on a dinghy, taking aim at the bird with a rifle. Ollie flailed in the water ten feet from the boat. Please, doctor, I can't swim. The double fired on the bird, missed, and said, That's the point, Oliver. The first step is to admit you're powerless. Now don't distract me. But you said enough delusions. Admit it. I admit it. 
I, I admit it. Anything you say, I admit it all. The double fired again and hit his mark this time, making a blood explosion of the albatross. Good. Very good. Yeah. He lifted an anvil from the boat and threw it at Ollie. In the motel room, the double zapped Ollie awake again. Now he was soaking wet. And God damn it if I tell you that you ran here on purpose of your own accord after I instructed you to with the express intent of coming to this very room, then by God, that's exactly what you did. But why? Why would I run here? You know why. Tell me why. What you're asking. Forcing me to do. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I can't. I won't admit that you want to. Admit that at least. But I love my wife. What does that have to do with anything? I won't do it. You want her. You said it yourself. I love my wife. You really are blessed. You know that? I love my wife. Self-delusion is a merciful gift, but it's also a curse. It's your main problem in life. This reality delusion dichotomy. Cognitive dissonance. That's my official diagnosis. I'm reporting it to the main office, just so you know. I love my wife. Stop saying that! <laughs> you can do it. These prove you can. Through the smoke, the double showed Ollie a series of Polaroid pictures, each containing an image of Ollie and his wife making love, each more pornographic than the next, each sending increasingly intense waves of heat into the center of Ollie's loins. Uh, no, that, that's, that's illegal. Oh, I took a few pictures. You've been spying on me. What? Quite the opposite, in fact. Invasion of privacy. I I'll report you. Come off it. You know your wife hasn't let you touch her in years. But, but the pictures... Don't you understand? That's not you in the pictures, Ollie. That's me. A dread he'd never known enveloped him. No. No. God, it can't be. Please. This is what you hired me for. To screw my wife? She would never. Could never. So I can show you what you're capable of. It's simple, really. With a man like you. I fulfill your dreams for you, so you realize that you're capable of achieving them. Monkey see, monkey do. You know, her biological clock. Doctor said it was stress. Right, stress. You know I have more semen in my little pinky than you have in both those pebbles in your pants combined. Virulency is a state of mind. I love my wife who has needs. Real needs. You're not man enough to satisfy. Look at that face. He pointed at a photo of Ollie's wife in a particularly ecstatic moment. You've never seen her make that face. You know what that is, Ollie? That's the face of real love. Take him away. I, I I can't look anymore. Of course not, because you're weak. You're vulgar. Your art is vulgar. Your sexuality is vulgar. Vulgarity is a virtue. The human species thrives on vulgarity. The problem is you pretend not to have these natural thoughts. No woman wants a man who... No woman admits she wants it publicly. You're wrong. Tenderness, soft petting... Cuddling. I, I'm sensitive. That's what a woman wants. I'll go to my grave believing that that's what women that want. That can be arranged. The more I think about it, the more I think your suicide might be our best bet after all. I don't love her. Your wife? Marissa. Well, you were singing a different tune a few weeks ago. Things haven't always been so contentious between us, remember? 
The double zapped Ollie back to the day after the meeting with the American Dream conglomerate. Ollie had taken a sick day from work and hunkered down at the corner bar to drown his sentience. The double tracked him down and insisted on buying drink after drink. As the afternoon wore on, they made promises to each other. Promised to look after one another. Promised to be there through thick and thin. They walked home at sunset, arm in arm, singing Bill Withers songs. And I'll be your friend, and I help you carry In Ollie's apartment, they passed out together, Ollie insisting that he sleep on the air mattress on the floor himself, swearing that he'd always put the double's comfort before his own selfish needs. Back in the motel room, Ollie could barely make out the double for the smoke now. You promised! That then you took the promotion, became the lead designer at Veneer, passed me over. Right up the corporate ladder. Sure, for your benefit, Ollie, to show you that you could do it if you just think positive thoughts and set your mind to it. I don't even play golf. Yacking it up, making jokes at my expense, making me look like a fool. Yes, and now, thanks to me, this Marissa, she likes you. Well, she likes me, but like I said... I'm here to help. Your help is a knife in the throat. The old switcheroo was the plan, but I'm afraid I've got some bad news. You're not physically up to the task with her. Clogged ears, slow dilation, hernias like children's balloons, blood running like the River Jordan. Then to top it off, a conservative, a Bible-thumping conservative with Charlton Heston privatizing capitalizing social darwinism nihilistic nietzschean tendencies blah 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 it's the way of the world you for nature the way of the world Big fish eats the little one is change change only if it suits self-interest progressivism is the ideology of change the only constant jesus i'm talking about your secret fantasies and you're spouting mouth say tongue at me there was a day in this country where you peace and understanding is the next step of evolution. Enlightened self-interest will perish otherwise. Hard and feathered and hanged and good riddance. Evolution is a matter of finance, Pinko. Takes the guesswork right out of natural selection. There's nothing more natural than your credit rating and driving a good car. 25 30 years, the Earth will be nearly uninhabitable. We'll live in an oligarchy where everyone but the privileged will privileged, suffer. Privileged, rugged individuals who've pulled themselves up by their own trust funds. Let's not quibble over semantics. It's the 80s, the me-me generation. Wake up. A goddamn actor's directing this production, and the world is trickling down all around you, just begging you to grab all you can get. Your civic duty, really, and you... Oh, Christ, if it were raining soup, you'd turn your bowl upside down. Soup gives me diarrhea. You know that. Trying to forget. Yes. Income inequality, the ozone, greenhouse effect, CO2. Shopping malls, McMansions, cordless telephones, microwave ovens. This is a material world, and you are a material. The more you get, the more you need. It ends in self-destruction. I don't want your help anymore. And here I'm helping you. Social benevolence. Isn't that what you fruits cry? for you made me vote against my conscience my good judgment i i admit i wanted to feel safe secure from the cold war monsters but welcome to rome my friend rome fell yeah enjoy while it lasts carpe diem right god help us why drag him into this that's a sore spot for you isn't it 
You say you believe in God, a God who loves capitalism of all things, but but you don't. Your faith is nothing but brand marketing. And you do believe in God, but won't admit it in the liberal media. Are we really that much different? You want to feel safe and guarded, but don't like the optics of what it takes to get there. Look, it comes down to this. If you blew me right now, would that be considered gay or merely a kinky form of masturbation? Because I'm seriously considering taking care of myself right now. This is hell. I'm in hell. Your wife? Twelve orgasms. No shit! I rekindled your marriage for you, and this blubbering is the thanks I get? False pretenses! I'm living a lie! This is how you help? Oh, she'll be here any minute. That's nothing to sneeze at. I didn't sneeze. I, I wasn't sneezing. I wooed her in your name, and... Ooh. Which one? Who? Oh god, I smell like a pig rose! Marissa, that's who. That night we were drunk, singing to the moon. You told me your secret fantasy about- Stop! I won't do it! Yes, you will. No! Then I will. That's her. Now shut up and listen. I knew you'd flake out, so I set it up all perfect. Room 22, a hidden camera, hardwired into the TV here. The double clicked on the TV and pushed Ollie's chair toward it so he could see the screen through the thick smoke in the room. His face was inches away from the image of room 22, empty and identical to that of Eleven in every way except for the fog and Ollie. No, don't do it. Not her too. Don't hurt her. Hurt her? It was her idea. She's married too, you know. She's a modern woman with needs. And incidentally, I happen to know she's also a client of Dream Horizons. I know her coach well, actually. Very well. Looks exactly like Marissa, now that I think of it. What are you gonna do? Tell you what. I'll just spank her lightly a little for you, hmm? One of your fantasies, isn't it? A little spanking? I have it on good word, it's hers too. No. Please, I... I, I love her. I admit it. Is that what you wanted to hear? What was that? I, I, I can't hear you. My ears seem to be clogged with grape jelly all of a sudden. The double unlocked one set of the handcuffs. I love her, okay? I said it, I love her too. Ah, mumbling. I can't understand a word you're saying. Now, you're free to do whatever you like with that hand. But it's my left hand. We all have difficulties to overcome, Ollie. Mountains we must climb. You have to rise to the challenge. Envision your success, please. Don't. Are you in there, Ali? Yes, one second, dear. In the old folk tales, a guy who saw his doppelganger, that meant he was going to die. You son of a bitch. Hey, babe. Look, I just called and got the room switched. This one is infested with cockroaches. He's a charlatan, an imposter. You hear that? Lefty, pinko, wishy-washy, half-man, sperm-depleted cockroaches. The door closed and Ollie watched the TV screen in a state of exquisite torture as the double and Marissa, or some facsimile of her, entered the room. Marissa sat on the bed and the double, before joining her, moved close to the hidden camera in the room and whispered to Ollie, By the way, I took care of your wife's biological clock for you too. Nine months from now, There'll be a mini-me, or rather, a mini-you, running around. No need for thanks. It's what we do at Dream Horizons. Congratulations, Papa. At which point, 
The smoke completely blotted out everything in Ollie's vision. When it cleared sometime later, a whimper could still be heard in the room. But Ollie had disappeared entirely. Thank you for finding the Motel Americana podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please consider helping it to continue running by clicking the support link at motelamericanapodcast.com, by finding us directly on Patreon, or simply by rating it on your favorite podcast platform. These all take about two or three minutes, and they help this project more than you know.